So in life, sometimes we have moments, experiences, divorces, realizing that our job isn't fulfilling anymore, realizing that something is broken. And we have this tendency to want to throw it away. We have this tendency to want to discard of the ingredient. It's rotten. It's unpalatable. It's not something that we want to really experience because it's kind of a negative. But what I find is that the best chefs know how to create excellence, create something amazing, no matter what the ingredients that they're handed are, no matter what the crisis, the problem, the challenge that they're facing is the ones who come out and rise to the top are the ones who can work through that adversity. Welcome to the Thriving in Chaos Project. Certified divorce coach and credentialed mediator Paulette Rigo invites you to grab a favorite beverage, find a cozy seat, soothe your soul, and take a listen. This podcast was created and inspired by our courageous journeys, love for connecting with others, and having meaningful conversations that teach, impact, and heal through sharing our stories. In each episode, Paulette will be joined by some of the most experienced and compelling experts in all things divorce and transformation. Listen to prepare and thrive through the toughest chapters as we reveal our hardships, celebrate our lessons learned, and see the future clearly with encouragement, hope, and joy. Leave feeling empowered and prepared to approach life and maintain our dignity no matter what. Each podcast episode focuses on sharing real conversations from real-life situations. Isn't it time you thrived? Welcome to the Thriving in Chaos Project. I am Paulette Rigo, your host, and today I am thrilled to have Diana Gramia. As an expert guest, she has advised billion-dollar deals for Fortune 500 companies and cooked Michelin-starred meals for former U.S. President Obama. But when burnout forced her to give up her life as a chef, Diana transformed her health crisis into a new life adventure. Sounds familiar, Diana. As an international speaker, author, coach, and healer, Diana is now living her dream, living in Honolulu, Hawaii. Gotta love it. She has been featured on Inspire You and Me TV show and shared the stage with Hugh Hilton, Mary Morrissey, Julian Michaels, and Dr. Phil. That's fun. Diana is passionate about helping business leaders transform their results by working smarter, not harder, with the law of attraction and energy psychology. Welcome to the show, Diana. Olet, it's so great to be here. I am all about thriving and chaos. I love this. I'm so thrilled to be here and sharing my story. I appreciate you uh, wanting to, because, you know, there's something to be said about that, Diana. We all have a story. I mean, join the club, right? Get to the back of the line, everyone. Like, it's not competitive, right? We we don't want to be like, oh, my story is better. And I think the older we get, the more we um, 
see other people's journeys uh, with um, a deeper desire to connect to everybody else's stories. We don't live in that um, selfish bubble of me, myself, and I of the two-year-old, right? But the more we really can identify with other people's stories, journeys, and processes, it makes us just better, uh, dare I say, thrive. Um, and of course, it is really a process. So let's start at the beginning. What is a nice girl like you, um, a young, gorgeous woman who was born and raised in New York? Um, what happened? And tell us your story. I'm dying to know the details. Yeah, well, um, one thing that took me a really long time to accept about myself. You know, it was really easy to be proud of speaking internationally, achieving many of the things that I have in life. But one of the places where I was most resistant to admitting as part of my identity was being a 9-11 survivor. Mm -hmm. So I was a high school student at the time of 9-11, um, a senior going to school two blocks away from the World Trade Center. And what that meant is that on that day when most people my age and you know all over the world got to witness horror on their TV screen, I was literally in the middle of it. I didn't see it on my TV screen. I saw it from my classroom window. Mm. Um, and that experience really changed me in that up until then, I had been all about following the rules following what everybody else had told me to do, listening to what other people told me was good for me or that I should be doing. And on that day, I realized that everything that I'd been thinking about that morning, everything that I'd been so preoccupied with and worried about as a senior in high school, you know, I'm thinking more about boys. I'm thinking about what's going to be my first week of school outfits. You know, I'm thinking about college essays. And 9-11 brought to the forefront that so many of the things that I was caught up in in the day-to-day -day didn't matter. It made me re-evaluate my life where I realized that every day was really a gift and that what I thought was supposed to be my life might not necessarily be exactly as I expected. The un unfathomable crisis that difficult times can come even when I'm doing everything I can to move in the direction I want to go. And having that realization for myself, that really stuck with me as I grew up. I went to business school at the University of Michigan, got my degree in accounting and finance, and then worked on Wall Street um, for a couple of years. And that was really in alignment with me doing more of what it was that I wanted because I loved math. I was really good at it. I'm a huge math nerd. <laughs> Um, and, you know, I was like, well, math, numbers, business, money, like I could get down with all these different things. And so that's how I got into finance and accounting, working in investment banking, advising Fortune 500 companies on the uh, debt side, on the debt origination side. And what that meant is that around the time of the global financial crisis, when subprime mortgages and the, the credit market kind of meltdown happened, the departments that I was working in were more directly affected than some of the others. And, you know, we, as we know, there were many banks that closed down, uh, many jobs that were lost. And when it hit 
when it started to hit close for me was when my boss lost his job, when my boss got laid off suddenly out of nowhere. And I realized that I was on the chopping block and that I was next and that my security, everything that I was worried about again in the day to day wasn't stable, wasn't steady. And then I needed to think about what did I really want? Where did I really want to want to be going in life? Was this the direction I wanted to keep heading? Because there was crisis that I didn't call for that came in my way. And in that moment, as I was thinking about, okay, well, how am I going to rebuild? How am I going to, what am I going to do if I don't continue down this path? And I had this thought that, you know, well, I guess I could go back to business school. I could work for a hedge fund. I could work for an investment firm. Yeah, you know, like I could, I could get my MBA. And as I'm thinking about all these different options, I heard from my intuition. My intuition told me, if you go back to school, it's going to be culinary school. And my intuition, the way that she comes in, is very sassy and frank. Frank. So it's not like, it's not like, um, oh, maybe it's this idea. Like it comes in very <laughs> monotone. Like I know the voice of um, my intuition, and so I, I learned that voice and I heard it, and I was like, oh, okay, like but that doesn't make any sense. And isn't that the case? You know, so many times the ideas that come to us when we're in a place where we're looking for to build something new, maybe it doesn't make full sense yet. Maybe we think that we need more certifications or we think that we need something else. But I was like, okay, well, you know, this doesn't make any sense. Neither of my parents knows how to cook. I really just learned how to cook watching Rachel Ray on the Food Network. You know, I'd see her make like a lemon pasta and I'd be like, that looks easy. And I would try it and it would taste good. And even after six, seven days a week of work at the bank, 12 to 14 hour days, I would still go home and want to cook something. And to me, that meant something. How was it that when I was fully depleted of energy, done with my job at the end of the day, but there was still gas in the tank left to cook something. Mm. And so I realized, okay, well, maybe this doesn't make sense. Maybe this seems crazy to give up the Louboutins for kitchen clogs, but something about this is calling me forward. And so I took the leap of faith, gave my resignation to, to my boss. He was like, why don't you hold on to receive your bonus? I said, no, I'm ready now. That was hard. It, banking bonuses are... <laughs> are rather generous, uh, but I just felt, you know, like I wanted, I wanted to start my life. I wanted to start my life. So I was willing to give up that security blanket of what I was going through to have what I'd really want. And wow, did the universe, did God bless me with, with what showed up next. So I went to culinary school, ended up meeting my husband. We became this power couple, uh, you know, got really, um, started to build a dream for the life that we were going to create together. We moved out to San Francisco. We had this idea, you know, he is such a creative um, and talented chef. And me, I have a lot of experience in, um, in operations, in analytics and like business. So I was thinking, okay, well, you know, being a business person, I'll go diversify my assets and learn about all these different food businesses, spend a year in all these different places. And he was going to work as the chef, you know, like um, of various restaurants as we were kind of building the dream of eventually having our own place, our own restaurant where we could be the power chef couple. Um, 
running and operating that. And so as we were going through that journey, uh, we lived in San Francisco, he worked at a restaurant, I worked everywhere from Michelin star to pizzeria, did some pastry, worked at an American restaurant, um, and eventually got married, decided to get, we got married in New Orleans, which is where he's from, um, and we paid for our own wedding. Uh, and when you're a cook, you're not making a lot of money. Uh, so that, that cost us and we couldn't really afford to go on a honeymoon at the time. My parents though were super generous. They invited us out on a trip to Hawaii with them. My mom kept trying to call it my honeymoon. And I was like, mom, um, you're not present on my honeymoon. Let's just <laughs> Yeah, what part of mom coming with us on honeymoon? Yeah, that doesn't work. <laughs> we were just super grateful for the trip. And you know, as soon as we got out here to Hawaii, uh, my husband and I, we both separately just had this feeling that we were home this, this like sense that like we were home and it wasn't a feeling that made sense, but I, again, had enough knowledge and experience with my, with trusting my gut to say, okay, this doesn't make sense, but this idea energizes me. It doesn't seem to want to go away. So I think there's something to this. And my husband felt the same thing. So we weren't able, you know, I mean, we could barely afford that trip at the time, you know, we just paid for our wedding. So we thought about, okay, well, what is it that we can do to start moving towards this dream of living in Hawaii? Uh, and we came up with a plan to move back to New York. Uh, New York's a great food city. We could get some great professional experience and we could stay with my parents to save on rent. So that was what we planned to do. Um, about a year after we uh, got married, we moved out to New York. We actually took a six week what we called an adventure, like an anniversary adventure through South America, as we were uh, sending all our stuff to the East Coast. Um, and then as we got to New York, he was working for a chef. I, I got, I joined up with um, a well-known restaurateur out there uh, and was able to rise through the ranks really fast because of my business experience and my culinary experience. Um, I was able to talk to the investors about what the what a restaurant space could look like, but and what the PL would look like, but I could also speak to the cooks about how to chop the onion, exactly how to do this, and you know, manage a kitchen. So that allowed for me to rise through the ranks at this company really quickly. <clears throat> you know, two promotions within six months, um, all those kind of things. And you know, they being that I was basically handling everything that was thrown on my plate, you know, thriving in that stress. Mm. Uh, handling it all, which I know many women, many of us can recognize, you know, it's like somebody just throws something else on the plate, we can handle it. And we say yes. Uh, even if, <laughs> even if the plate is full, you know, if we can do it, we, we try and go for it. Um, and I was thriving in that. And I got to a place where they asked me uh, to open nine different restaurants in two different states, all on the same day. Um, and lead the, the back of house operation for all of that. And on that day, on opening day, I woke up in a, a hotel room in Washington, DC, and I saw a huge bald spot about the size of a quarter on the right side of my head when I looked into the mirror. And I, I looked back at the bed, noticed you know a clump of my hair there, um, went back to the mirror and you know I wish I could tell you that I instantly received the wake up call and was like, okay, this is done. I, this is the last straw. Like I'm not going, I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing this anymore, Paulette, you know, but the truth is mm. I just brushed my hair over. 
So you couldn't see the bald spot. Mm. And I went to work and I kept working, you know, training those teams, working on the opening for a couple more weeks. And it wasn't until I got home that in my own bathroom, I felt like I could take that brave face off that I didn't have to pretend anymore about what was going on. And I could really face what was going on for me. And in the privacy of the bathroom, you know, looking in my own reflection in the mirror, I saw that, yeah, there were some places and ways in which my life looked great from the outside, but on the inside, I was broken. I was balding and I was burned out. And I knew mm-hmm. that something needed to change, you know, and it was so easy at first to place blame on a stressful job, living in a stressful city, not having enough support from my team, not having enough support from my boss, all the different things, you know, there were so many things that I wanted to blame for what was going on in my body. And I knew that I wanted to change it all. And, uh, and so I said, okay, you know, yeah, we can, we can make this move to Hawaii. Like, but I want to change. I want to break free of everything that I've struggled with my whole life. My constant battle with my body, with my weight, um, being shy and introverted, constantly wanting to start my own business, but being afraid to take the leap all of these different things. I was like, I just want to break through all of these different things. And I I want to live life that feels more meaningful. I wanted to turn that pain I was going through into something that had purpose. Mm. Finally, you know, my husband came home from work that night and I showed him the bald spot. And he looked at, at it, he looked at me and he just hugged me. And he said, okay it's time for us to go to Hawaii. And I said, yeah, I think so. And I told him about my dream, what I wanted to break through and overcome. And he was with me. He was, he was on board and willing, but he asked me, but Diana, what's different this time? And I was like, what do you mean, Brian? What what do you mean? What's different? Like, we're going to move to Hawaii. We're going to start a new business. Like, all of these things are going to be different. And he was like, okay, but Diana, you've moved before. You've changed jobs before. What's going to be different this time? What's actually going to make you happy? What's going to bring you fulfillment? What's going to stop the, the health issues that you're having? Because doing the same thing of changing the, the window dressing and not changing what's going on inside isn't really working. Mm-hmm. And he was so gentle with the message, but I was so angry to receive it. <laughs> I came across the face. It was, you know, I, I just, I mean, I felt like it was a slap in the face. You know, I was in this place of pain. Um, but really, he was giving me the love that I needed. He was really giving me the tough message that I needed to hear and the realization that I couldn't do what I kept doing in the past. Something had to change. It couldn't just be my external circumstances. It, it wasn't just about, you know, the, the new job. It's not just about the new relationship. It's about us inside experiencing a transformation so that we can have the transformation that lasts outside. Um, and so that was what really dug me into working with coaches, working with energy psychology, really understanding um, what it is beyond what I was simply doing. Cause I was a master at doing. 
as a master at getting things done, handling things, thriving under stress. But clearly there was something missing because my level of success, given the level of hard work I was putting in, wasn't matching up. I was, I was willing to work 200%. Here I was in my early 30s with as many diseases as an average woman twice my age. And so here I am working hard, sick as a dog, having reached a certain level of success. There were people who were more successful than me and not working as hard. And to me, that meant, okay, then it doesn't have to be this way. There's gotta be a smarter way that I'm not seeing that this can be done. And so I, I decided to really dig deep to work with coaches. I, I worked uh, closely with Mary, Mary Morrissey, Natalie Ludwell, um, Bob Proctor, to learn really more about mindset, transformation, the law of attraction, um, and really understanding how it is that the brain works and how we can work with the brain for that transfer, transformative life experience. Um, and you know, the way that I kind of put it, call it, is I think about it kind of like a chef. So, you know, in life, uh, have you ever watched Top Chef or any of those competition cooking shows? I have watched a few of them. You can't not. They're, they're either get really hungry or agitated or <laughs> scared. But yeah, no, they're fascinating stories. Yeah. So you know how like sometimes one of the challenges that they have to face is like getting an ingredient that like you don't want to work with. So maybe it's like the vending machine or it's like some weird seafood that they've never seen before. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, they have, they, they put these chefs in a situation where they have an ingredient that's not ideal. And this is how I think about life. So in life, sometimes we have moments, experiences, divorces, you know, realizing that our, our job isn't fulfilling anymore, realizing that something is broken. Um, and we have this tendency to want to throw it away. We have this tendency to want to kind of like discard of the ingredient. It's rotten. It's unpalatable. It's not something that we want to really experience because it's kind of a negative. But what I find is that the best chefs know how to create excellence, create something amazing, no matter what the ingredients that they're handed are. No matter what the crisis, the problem, the challenge that they're facing is, the ones who come out and rise to the top are the ones who can, who can work through that adversity. And what working through that adversity, working with our negative ingredients, uh, the things that are bitter in life, the things that seem sour, maybe a little salty, that are unpalatable on their own, is really about drawing out the best of each of those ingredients. So yes, I'm a 9-11 survivor. Mm -hmm. But it helped me realize and gave me the lesson that, that life is not forever and that I need to really think more and more about what is it that I want to create and not just get swept up in what everybody else thinks is right for me. Mm. Yes, I, I lost a, a successful thriving career as a result of the global financial crisis, but I tapped into passion on a whole new level and took a leap of faith into a career in life beyond what I ever imagined when I was working on Wall Street. Mm -hmm. And yes, I burned out, right? But <laughs> I transformed that experience too and learned something. And so whatever negative, bitter ingredients we have in life, how can we pull out the best from that? How can we take and extract whatever little good, whatever little flavor we wanna bring 
and use that to actually heighten the final dish. Because if you look at cooking, you know, many times people think it's about the uh, the sweet or like the, the top notes of flavor that you end up uh, experiencing in the dish. But what brings it nuance and depth is having a little bit of that bitterness, having a little bit of that acidity that wakes up the palate. And so when we create a life with an understanding that we're pulling out the best from these seemingly challenging ingredients, we create and weave a tapestry, we create a final dish that has so much more value than the original beginning, right? And so this is how when we see on Top Chef, somebody takes a can of SpaghettiOs and then somehow makes like an amazing looking tomato soup and, you know, like a like with a garnish and all these different things. Um, and if you look at it, it, every single chef there creates something completely different with the same ingredients. And right. that's what we get to do with our life is we get to create what we want with the ingredients that we have. Now you bring up such a great point, Diana. Thank you for sharing that overview of your story. Uh, we are all kind of given the same ingredients, right? Um, let's think about it. Um, sperm and egg come together, not to talk too much biology here, right? But you know, that's how we're all created. And we are born by our mothers. Um, however, we come out, whether it's a C-section, you know, what doesn't matter. We are all born into the world. Uh, with a very different set of circumstances, different parents, different DNA. And it's not by our, well, some say it is by our choosing, but that would be another whole topic. Um, but we're not of the person we're, we're controlling. But um, And you, we're all kind of given the opportunity to take those ingredients and make, create, manifest, a life based on our will, our desires, uh, our goals, our values, aspirations. Now, that's not to say that there aren't a few challenges or weird ingredients thrown in the mix. Maybe it's a can of SpaghettiOs. Maybe it's, um, you know, the finest whatever. Um you know, I could, I could go down my culinary training because I also went to cooking school. It wasn't oh. quite the cooking school you went to. It was the, the Cushy Institute of Macrobiotic Cooking and Consulting. But I did spend a long time in a kitchen early in the morning for hours learning how to julienne carrots and the, all the different ways of handling a knife. And um, so, you know, I have I've learned a lot of those skills so I can relate in some of the ways that you spoke. But I do don't want to be remiss because there was something you said way at the beginning when you started sharing your story. You said, I saw everything not on TV, but in my reality. And I may have uh, paraphrased, but, and, and that is so true. Like 99.9% .9 of us saw 9-11 on TV. Like we didn't experience it. Um, we, we learned about it, we read about it, we heard about it, but we didn't actually kinesthetically, viscerally experience being down by the water in that, you know, five to 10 block radius where you felt the earth shake and the dust and the matter and the screaming and the fire engines. And see, I, I wasn't there and I still can kind of make up a story because I've seen it, right? But you actually have 
the smells and the feeling and the, the taste of the dust and that we didn't experience. Um, I do know other people that have been and have heard them describe it. So yeah. maybe, maybe I can describe it a little better than some, but you know, it's just that feeling, but now here we are, ironically, after you have lived that, um, and you've grown into a woman, you're no longer in high school. Um, you graduated and made a wonderful new life for yourself. Um, I bet there are some of those people that experienced that and did not make that choice. Um, and that's a free will, right? But here's my question. Here we are coming up on the 20th anniversary. How ironic that you and I are not ironic. I, th I don't believe in coincidences as people who know me believe, know that I don't. I believe in karma and everything is... Uh, as it should, but um, how does that milestone, that 20th anniversary, looking back, how does it affect you now? You know, there were um, many ways where I felt healed from it. And I think that, um, you know, it's very different, of course, to go through divorce. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine to think that I know what that feels like. But that I imagine- Well, let's hope you never way. need me professionally. <laughs> yes, I, that is a hope. Um, but there, there is a way where I think we can feel healed on a certain level, mm. only to discover that there's another level at which we haven't healed. Yet. Mm. So I felt I felt mostly at peace with 9-11. But with mm. what has happened recently with the Taliban in Afghanistan, sure, I found myself feeling that again. And I wasn't expecting to feel that. Mm. So I have been quite reflective about the season in terms of what have I done in the 20 years since 9-11 happened? Mm. What have I built of a life as a result of that realization I had on that day? Mm. And I think when we look back at any of those momentous uh, breaking point moments for us in life and, um, you know, when we, when we thrive through chaos, we definitely have <laughs> some of them um, it's important to look back at those moments and to see where have I gone since then because there are people who I imagine in some way are still stuck where they were 20 years ago mm. and we get to see with these milestones where are we and it's not a place of judgment of anyone who is stuck because we all have our own time and process but that we we get to look and assess, are we happy with how we've invested the time since this happened? Or do we want to make a change? Do we want to look at life a little differently or, or have a different experience of life? And so I look every year at the 9-11 um, anniversary and I think about where I am, what I've done since then, who I've been, the fears that I've faced, because that day, I didn't know if I was going to make it home to my parents. I didn't know if I was going to see anybody, you know, my friends, like, because the, the World Trade Center, you know, that was also our cell phone towers. And there was no way to reach anybody. Um, so I, I didn't know how long I was going to have. Mm, yeah. So coming up on 20 years of, of that is... The knowledge that I survived 20 years and that 
not, not only did I survive, but I chose to thrive mm -hmm. by taking that bad experience, that nightmare, and mm -hmm. building dreams on top of that, mm -hmm. transforming it, pulling out the best so that I could rebuild even stronger than I ever had before. And that's what I saw the city of New York do as well, you know, really rebuild. Um, and that's what I think our journey in life is really about is having those moments or those places where we feel broken and seeing that it's not actually about being broken. It's about rebuilding, picking up the pieces, designing something new, coming back stronger, building a better life as a result of what broke. Yeah. Well, it's very true. And I'm glad you brought that up. Um, there are deeper layers of healing. Well, you know, healing isn't like, uh, and we're talking about psychological, mental, emotional healing. Um, and there are so many different layers of that, uh, you know, in the yoga tradition, and I am an ERYT 500. So every now and I throw in a little bit of, of that, they're called koshas, right? So K-O-S-H-A, and you don't need to go, you know, put on yoga pants to understand any of this. It's sort of like in the winter when we put on a lot of clothes and it starts to get hot and you start to undress and you're, until you're like naked and you're like, okay, it, it, it's how that happens. And we do build up calluses, you know, to prevent us. We get them on our feet. You get them. If you type a lot, you've got them when you write a lot, you know, you get one on your finger in school because you're always writing, you know, but um, we probably have carpal tunnel calluses who know, but you know, when you've experienced trauma, which is what you did experience as a young woman, having that uh, experience of um, the 9-11 the incident, uh, which took months, if not years, for people to process. And in many ways, with the rebirth of the reflective experience of last couple weeks, with the reminder of the realization that terrorism is real. And it wasn't just some temporary thing that happened with a few flights in a field in Pennsylvania and DC and New York City. And I'm from Boston and that's where the flights originated from. And it was terrifying. You know, we, as a Bostonian, I felt bad about that. Like, you know, there were so many feelings of, oh my, like, how did we allow this to happen? Um, and the vulnerability that we all felt. And now, we're reminded again. Uh, and I've, everyone I've spoken to in the last few days about this is uh, like, they're being more vigilant, you know, looking like backpacks and where they are. Um, there was a bomb threat in the Atlanta airport just a few days ago. Um, it turned out to be false, the, the best of my knowledge. I'm, I hope I'm not falsely uh, reporting here, but, um, and, and at the Atlanta airport, by the way, is the largest one in the country. Um, and it was a big, uh, reminder of, wow, we don't live in a world where uh, we are free of that. It is something that we need to be more and more aware of. Now, it was an unfathomable crisis, as you said, and it was our reality. And it, as we're learning, still is. We do have those layers of healing where you feel, ah, I'm being, I got 
this. I'm resilient. I'm strong. I'm courageous. I'll take risks. I'll quit my job. I'll move back to the city. I'll, I'll change my life. I'll, I'll, I'll mix it up and juggle it and change it. And, and I'm, I'm willing to just reinvent myself, recreate myself and go on those adventures. I love that an adventure that could, I don't know if you coined that term, but you probably should. Um, everybody having an anniversary, just go on an adventure. Don't go on an anniversary. But you did all that. But you just mentioned that even though it's been 20 years, I saw, I witnessed the tears bubbling out of your eyes. I could feel those feelings that you were feeling and they're real. Um, so maybe 80%, 90%, who knows? Do we need a pie chart? Hell no. You're just going to know that no matter how much healing you've done, there's always room for more. There just is. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that you failed or that you're lazy or there's something wrong with you or you're broken. It just means you're human and you have emotions and feelings. And I want to turn the conversation a little bit to what you spoke about, about the voice of your intuition, which was beautiful. Now, everybody listening, figure out what your voice sounds like. Because it has an internal voice. I wouldn't say it's going to be able to sing a song or um, carry a tune or whatever, but it, your, your internal clock or vision or voice, call it what you will, does have a voice. And I don't know what you said yours was, but you said yours was kind of loud and something. What, what did you say your voice was? Mine, my voice is very frank. And like matter of fact, right? So it's not, it's not like maybe this is an idea for you. It's yeah. like, no, this is what you're doing. Yeah. Hell yeah. Like, huh? Yeah. Right. So Diana's voice is frank and matter of fact. Mine was a little bit like a shit storm when I heard you need to change your life now, girl. And if you don't, you're going to be dead. That's what my voice was. It was if you keep doing what you're doing, you're not just going to be old and grumpy and, you know, all the other things we fear, right? You're, you're walking down a path that is not going to have a pretty ending. And that's what it said to me. Um, and it was the job, the whole situation. If you stay in this career, if you stay in the marriage and the way things are not in a healthy way, it's going to get ugly. And I didn't listen for a long time because as you said, it's scary, right? Like you, you got out the comb and covered up the, the bald spot. Well, that's like a physical thing. I didn't have any physical manifestations, although I did lose a ton of weight because I was living on diet soda and candy bars, I think. I don't even remember eating, but um, it was just survival mode, right? You just went to work, did what you had to do, Diana, just to do it. So everybody out there, what is your voice? What does it sound like? And if you don't know, you're not listening. So you need to stop pretending and figure out what your voice is saying to you. Listen, journal, explore, ask it, close your eyes and ask yourself what you're feeling. Start to explore that. And whether it's a job, 
you know, whatever it is, it's time you figure that out because that no coach in the world is going to be able to tell you what your voice sounds like. Only you can do that. I don't care how much money you're paying them. They could help you uncover what they're saying maybe, but you you have to know what that voice sounds like. Maybe your voice is a whisper. Maybe it swears and curses. Maybe it's just a blunt um, you know, bad apple. Maybe it's more of like a grandparent and it's very wise. And I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying to give you potential scenarios, but it is your responsibility to figure that out and know and listen to it and start to know it. And if it happens to be a marriage, um, and as scary as that sounds, uh, there's millions of people that get married um, and divorced. In fact, last year alone, there were 2.6 million divorces. That's up 43%. Um, and I'm also seeing a rise in older people who have been married 30 years plus divorcing, which is very um, scary and unnerving, but true. So whatever it is that you are uh, challenged with, um, listen to that voice. Yeah. yeah. Some of the ways that I've um, helped my clients find their voice, because it is hard to know. And sometimes, you know, we, we can say things like, I don't know. I don't think I have an intuition. The way that I think about finding and hearing the voice is kind of like, um, it's kind of like when your mom calls you on the phone or your best friend calls you. She doesn't need to say her name or he doesn't need to say his name in order for you to know who it is. You instantly recognize the voice. And how does that happen? It, it happens because you paid attention to this voice. You had interest in it. You listened to it. So that's exactly the same way that we can develop that relationship mm -hmm. with our intuition is by paying attention, listening. And that's what I'm hearing you say, Paulette. You know, just, just listen, figure out what, what are the voices that you're hearing and which of those voices is your intuition. For that too, you know, one of the things that I think helps, uh, and I think both of us kind of mentioned it when we were sharing our stories about hearing from our intuition, is that it comes in with a message that we want to argue against. So it's as if we had, like, it's as if it's telling us to do something and we're like, no, 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 here's a whole list of reasons I should not do that thing. Our intuition doesn't come in as rationale and logic. It comes in with a higher knowing beyond what we can see and and really understand in a logical way but it's a it's a means of us accelerating our process and accelerating our knowledge um, and so we find ourselves arguing with our intuition all the time uh, and so when you find yourself arguing with that voice like a voice um, kind of pay attention what is what did that voice say what does it sound like um, and, you know, like kind of explore it kind of as Paulette has done in her own life. And as I've done, um, you know, really thinking like, well, what, what if I did do this? What if I could, um, what, mm -hmm. what can I create instead? Love it. Yeah. It's a, it's a friend. And the more you listen, that friend will talk. So tell us a little bit about the book you wrote. Yeah. So I, because, so, um, part of the way that I rose, um, through the ranks at uh, this restaurant group. And um, even when I worked as a banker, one of the things that I really specialized in was creating operations and systems. So I love creating things that are, that I know work, that I know work not just for me, but for other people. 
because then I'm able to, to achieve more, to get more done um, and have it done consistently without my physical presence or without my time. Um, and this is, this is how I approached uh, really understanding and creating processes around manifestation. So when I was working with my clients, I developed a four-step process that we can use to manifest faster, manifest more of what it, more of the resources that can support us in moving towards our dreams, more opportunities, uh, clients, money, whatever it is that we need. Um, and it's a four-step process that I've outlined in the journal. First step is gratitude. And all of us can understand, uh, if we have any understanding of the law of attraction, that gratitude is on the frequency of abundance and an important part of, uh, of attracting more of what we want. And I have a very specific way of practicing gratitude that also accounts for the law of circulation, which is an understanding that, you know, there's, it's not just about what we're sending out, it's also about what we're receiving. So I practice gratitude in two different ways. Second step is visualization, because the way that our mind, um, that we can most, can most effectively convey and communicate with our mind is through pictures. So second step is visualization. The third is meditation. This was a tough one for me to understand as a hard worker. Um, and you know, somebody who's very willing to put things on my plate and not so willing to take them off or create space on my plate. Um, but this goes back again to that law of circulation that it's not just about me pushing, pushing, pushing and doing, doing, doing. It's also about me receiving. And if I'm willing and able to receive, then I'm much more effective. I don't have to put as much energy forth. Um, and then lastly, um, is taking action, taking inspired action. So writing down, asking ourselves in meditation, you know, what's, what's a step I can take today to move forward in the direction of my dreams? And then writing those steps down and actually scheduling them in our calendar. So I find that by doing this process, um, I know that, you know, moms that many of us, we don't have a ton of time. So this is designed to be a 15 minute focused process to help manifest dreams faster. And I've seen my clients and myself uh, manifest things that we thought were gonna take years in literally months, um, just by working 15 minutes a day. Uh, and so it's incredibly transformational. And I feel, I feel honored to have found and discovered this process, you know, similar to what you were saying about feeling called by your work, Paulette. Um, I never thought I would do this work. I'm such a math and science nerd, you know, like this stuff seems, seems so esoteric and strange, um, but I find that it's been so effective and so impactful that, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just serving the mission I've, give, I've been given. Mm -hmm. Well, I love that you brought that up. Um, and just one final thought, you mentioned um, you're a math and science nerd, right? But you also have this other softer, deeper, more, dare I say, woo-woo, philosophical side to yourself. And I'm very much like that too. You know, Ayurveda, yoga, macrobiotics. I'm a birth doula. Um, I've helped women with lactation consulting and done all kinds of very esoteric kind of things. But on the other hand, I hang around with judges and lawyers and fiduciaries. And, you know, those two sides of the divorce journey don't typically like each other. They're very like mental, emotional, psychological part of the, the decision and the thought process and the feelings and physical, sexual aspects of relationships and marriage. But then on the other side, there's like, it's a process, fill out the paperwork, 
What's, you know, and it's awkward. And here you are this, you know, a massive nerd as you've self-proclaimed, don't, don't be offended, but you're very deep soul. And that's really where you found your genius zone of being able to, to, to marry those two worlds where you are very organized and, and you like systems and processes and organizations and spreadsheets. And I bet you love a good Excel spreadsheet. And I, of course, uh, want to throw up anytime I see one. So, you know, they are what they are. I always call my husband and say, Stephen, look at this stand thing. I think I screwed it up. So, um, you know, you have to just own who you are and, but don't see it as a bad thing. <laughs> you have to find that, that little part of you that can, you know, nurture the, the nerd in you, whatever it is that's nerdy about you, uh, just to own it. So how can people learn more about you, follow you on social media, uh, work with you, do share? So if anyone is interested in working with me, I have a monthly membership to a dream accelerator where I work with folks in using the journal, in working with manifestation and with energy psychology healing. Um, energy psychology healing was very helpful for me with the post-traumatic stress, uh, with social anxiety and a lot of the subconscious blocks that I was facing, um, I was able to experience breakthroughs even faster. So that's something that um, folks can be a part of in the Dream Accelerator. Mm -hmm. I do have my Manifest Your Dreams journal. You can get that on Amazon. The easiest way is to look up my name, C-I-A-N-A-G-R-E million uh, in Amazon. And that's the easiest way to find the Manifest Your Dreams journal. And then if you want to check out my website, that's dianagremion.com, D-I-A-N-A-G-R-E million.com. Yeah, just think Instagram, million with G-R-E million. Yeah, exactly. Easy to remember. Yeah, diana.g-r-e million for Instagram. She is all over and she's great. And I love the fact that you've um, taken your story and turned it into something so beautiful. Um, you're an inspiration to young women, young married couples and uh, making your dreams come true. I love Hawaii. I've been there a few times and have enjoyed it tremendously. So give Hawaii my love. Uh, thank you for your time and sharing your story in um, the 20th anniversary of 9-11 at this very emotional time for all of us. But thank you again. And no matter what, everybody, no matter whether it's um, family work, who knows, career or making uh, the best out of a can of SpaghettiOs, you got to just keep thriving in the chaos. Thanks for tuning in and make sure if you want to talk to us or ask us questions, you can always email us at thrivinginchaospodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.